Come on, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord and all the beautiful people around you. Anybody wake up with some joy this morning? I woke up with a great amount of joy today, and I thank the Lord for all that he is doing, not just in my life, from the life of our church, but in your life. It's so important that you continuously give God thanks. Amen. The psalmist said, I enter into his courts with thanksgiving in my heart, meaning I'm always coming to God with an attitude of thanksgiving. If you could take me down a little bit, Vinny, um, I got some humming up here. Amen. Anybody was here on Friday for that concert? I thought it was so amazing. I thought the band from the church did amazing. And then we rocked out with the Planet Shakers. Amen. It was really a big blessing to be here. And uh, Planet Shakers said that our band was anointed. We just told them we knew that. Amen. Uh, just kidding. But they, they, were very, they were very supportive of us and everything we're doing as a church. And so we just thank God for them and for what God is using them in and their part of the world and all over the world because they're a global band. So we thank God for that. Turn with me in your Bibles. To Haggai chapter 2. Vinny, if you have me on these monitors, you need to kill it. Haggai chapter 2. And I'm believing that the Lord is going to really speak to your hearts today. Speak to our hearts. Um, we're, we're in our series, Heart for the House. And, and we're seeing God transition our church from a place of promise to a place of, somebody say, fulfillment. You know, I don't know if you remember, but earlier this year in 2015, January, we started our church a year with fasting, with prayer, with giving, and declaring in our first series of the year that we, somebody shout, believe God's word over our church. And we declared for four weeks we believe God's word in different areas. And one of the areas that we were declaring that we believe God's word was in the area of God enlarging our territory. The prayer of Jabez, where he said, Lord, enlarge our territory. And the Bible says that very simple verse. Jabez prayed, Lord, that you would enlarge my territory. And the next verse says, and God did it. And we were, we were in just months ago saying, God, we're believing for you to enlarge our territory. And the next verse to our story says, and God did it. And we're living in that moment. We're living in one of those God did it moments. God is, is doing it moments. And the question is, if you're going to get on God's boat or not, are you going to be in line with God's heart? Are you going to be in line with God's vision? And so to, to have a heart for the house means to have faith and trust and belief in God. And oftentimes the heart is defined in Scripture as the center of a person, the seat of moral decision. It's not talking about your physical beating heart. It's talking about when anywhere in Scripture where it says, and I will worship you with all of my heart. It's not talking about your blood. It's talking about and your organs. It's talking about the center of who I am. I have made a clear, concise educated decision to say, Jesus Christ, I will worship you, I will magnify you, I will lift you up, and that is your seat of moral decision. I've made a moral choice in my life that my flesh will yield to my spirit, man, and I will worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to have a heart for the house means not just to have a heart for your church, but to have a heart for building the kingdom of God, building up the, the influence of the church around our city around our state and wherever else God desires for us to be. Having a heart 
for the house. And we're, we're coming upon this story that I'm about to read to you. And in this story, a group of Israelites, they, they have been coming back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And they had been taken out of it because they had fallen so deep into sin that God had allowed an enemy to come in and wipe them out. And they were enslaved for many, many years and in bondage. And one day, God gave a man named Nehemiah a heart for the house, a heart for Jerusalem. And he laid, and he was before the king, and he was actually, he was the king's uh, of the enemy army that had taken him. He was his right-hand man, his butler, his assistant, one of his advisors. And, and he looks at him, and, and, and he says to him, Nehemiah, why are you so downcast? And Nehemiah says, my lord, my king, my city is in ruins. And then God gave him the vision to go fix it. And the king gave him the money to go fix it because wherever God's vision is, provision comes. And so God takes and he sends Nehemiah and Nehemiah goes and he, we, we talked about it a few months ago where he goes and he's doing a great work and he will not come down and all the enemy is trying to get him to stop and he builds the walls up. He does all that. He does what God told him to do. He does everything, but yet they began to lay the foundation of the temple, but they stopped building the temple. And here we are now in this story, 15 years after the temple's foundation was laid, and it had not been finished. And I want to talk to you today about how sometimes the reasons why we don't finish the work of God that we started. Why we don't finish the work of God that we started. And so Haggai is the prophet who the Lord has raised up. And Haggai, or Haggai, however you want to pronounce it, Haggai has come and now he's prophesying to the people a word of reprioritizing their life. The entire book of Haggai is about him saying, listen, reprioritize your life and put God back at number one. And in chapter 1, God looks at the people and he says through the prophet, he said, how can you live in luxury? How can you have everything you need when I in my house don't have what I need? And God looks at the people and says, you have to reprioritize your life. And something amazing happens. The word of the Lord goes forth, and the people began to build the temple once again. And they were joyously doing this work. And then the prophet out of nowhere goes to the high priest, and he says these words. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 10. 2, verse 10, and I'll read all the way down to 17. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold or the pocket of their garment, and that fold touches bread, stew, wine, olive oil, or other food, does it then become, somebody say, consecrated? And the priest answered, no. And then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of those things, does it become defiled? Meaning, if he is wearing, or rather, if he's just touched a dead body, this person, and he touches food or any other thing, the question now is, does that become unclean? Does it become defiled? And according to the Mosaic law, the priest responds properly by saying, yes, it becomes defiled. And then verse 14, Haggai says this, So it is with the people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. Now give careful thought. From this day on, and consider how things were. Somebody say, before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. And when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, they only received 10. And when anyone went to receive wine from the vat and draw 50 measures, they only received 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, 
mildew, and hail, and yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. And from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought of when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Verse 19, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne its fruit. But from this day forward, onward, I will bless you. I know some of you are like, what did he just read? That sounds like really biblical, defiled, unclean, barns, vats of oil, measures of this, uh, stuff of that, Darius, this guy. I saw him on, uh, on the Spartan 300 movie, wrong guy, but that's fine. And uh, I don't even know what was just said in this last portion of Scripture. And I have, as I always do, very simple points for you today. But before I get into that, I really want to pray over this sermon because I believe the Lord is going to speak and minister to hearts in a very profound way. So just one more time, bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, only you know the need for this word in this house. Only you know who's going to receive it. Only you know. And so I ask you not to prepare the heart, prepare the mind, in Jesus' name, that you would have your way. Come on, the church says. So as we know, building on the temple had stopped for 15 years. For 15 years, they had abandoned, so to speak, the work of the Lord. Have you ever been to that place in your life maybe where God has done a great thing? Anybody, God has done a great thing for you, amen? God has moved in a mighty way in your life or God has done something that only God could do or God has provided you maybe with a family, a wife. Maybe you were broken, maybe you were hurting, maybe you were unemployed and God gave you a job. Maybe whatever it is, maybe God did something great in your life and God opened a door. We're not saying that God gives jobs. God opens doors for men and women to be responsible and walk through them. And so has God done something in your life? But then the thing that God gave you now becomes a distraction from God. And then now we can't really seek God first because we're too busy doing everything for our homes, for our families, and for our houses, and for our jobs, and for our lifestyle. But yet God is abandoned and God is left maybe as an option instead of a priority in your life. And oftentimes we stay stagnant in our relationship with God for many years at a time because after we receive the blessing, we think that we've we've arrived at the promise of God. But I don't know if you know, as I know this, but every promise that God gives me leads me to another. And every place that God takes me is only so that he can continue to move me forward. If I ever grow stagnant in my life, I'm outside the will of God. If I ever get to that place where I'm not growing... I'm probably going outside of God's will. And so these people are at this place in their life where they now they have their city back. It's repopulated. The walls are built up. They feel safe. The governors, the Rubabel is there. They're having a great time. But what's not happening is there's no worship happening. And why do I know there's no worship ha- excuse me, happening? Because there's no temple. And the temple was the place of worship for the people. And so for 15 years, it's safe to assume that there was no organized worship in Jerusalem. And God is not happy with the people from the past. And so he, he, he presents this prophecy and this question to the priest. And he says to the priest, listen, according to the Mosaic law, if a consecrated piece of food that is in your garment, which is consecrated, consecrated meaning set apart for the Lord. I use another word, holy. That's the word of the day. Somebody say holy. If a holy thing touches something that is normal, average, does it make it holy? And the priest goes, no, absolutely not. But then the prophet Haggai says, well, 
The Lord wants to know if an unholy thing touches a holy thing, does it make it unclean or unholy? And he says, yes. Let, let me break this down into layman's terms. If I, being a man of God, set apart for the Lord, living a holy life, take and I know there's poison in this cup and I touch this cup and I drink from this cup, does it make this cup unpoisonous? But if I consume it, it makes me Here's my first point. Holiness is not contagious, but sin is. <laughs> Holiness is not contagious. You can't think that because you have a little bit of right living in your life, you can sin, you can act out, and then make that holy. I'll put it to you another way. If I go to the corner gas station right behind our Howard Ave building where they're always selling drugs, and I go over there and buy a nickel bag, you know what I'm talking about, and then I go and buy a black and mild, whatever else, and buy a little Dutch, roll it up, smoke that weed, it doesn't make the weed holy because somebody holy smoking it. On the contrary, it makes me unholy for compromising my walk with God. You got to understand this concept I'm trying to give to you. You can only hide behind grace for so long before you realize you're living in sin. Not struggling. And this is what the Lord is saying. He says they stopped building because they fell into sin. He says they weren't living right before me. They were unholy. And the unholy people who had a heart for the house were trying to build a holy place. And God says, I don't want unholy people to build up a holy kingdom. Because then it makes the holy kingdom, somebody say, unholy. Are you following me here? Holiness is not contagious, but church, sin is. If you hang around people who are going to drink, soon enough, you're going to take a drink. If you hang around people who live immorally, soon enough, you're going to find yourself in compromising situations. If you surround yourself with things that are ungodly, you will become, un you become rather comfortable in ungodly places. Holiness is not contagious, but sin is. And that's what the entire Mosaic law of clean and unclean is about. That's the main point God is trying to illustrate to the priest. He says, listen, holiness is not contagious, but if you touch unholy things, you bring defilement to your life. You bring defilement to the house of God. You bring defilement. Are you here with me today, church? to the work that you're putting into the kingdom. And God is reminding these people who are now building the kingdom happily and joyously, he is saying to these people, do not be like the ones who are before. So I say to you, don't be like those who came before us and defiled the work of the Lord, but do it with a right heart and a right spirit that we would remain holy before the Lord. In other words, I'll put it to you like this, dirty hands, dirty all they touch. My daughter, when I feed her, you know, I try to keep her hands as clean as possible. But once a month, maybe, maybe once a month, I'll put her food in front of her because she is independent. she got a strong spirit, and she wants to feed herself, and she don't care if she doesn't use a fork for spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> she doesn't care if ravioli is full of sauce. She doesn't care about that. She don't care if she takes the bottle of water just like this, like she did yesterday, and raises it up fully like this, that it is going to pour down on her because she can't handle the flow. But can I talk to some people who want to turn things in their life upside down thinking you can handle the flow? 
You think you can do this. You think, oh, I can be strong enough to walk into this ungodly place, into this sinful location, into this place where I know God has not called me and still be holy. You're going to get a mess on yourself. And so here comes mom a few minutes later. Why is the baby wet? I don't know. (laughs) Beats me, Aria. What are you doing with your life? And every now and then she just sits there and she'll make a giant mess with her spaghettis. And then she does the unthinkable. I'm like, uh, uh, no. And then I have this challenge of getting a wipey and cleaning her hands before she touches me and gets me all sauced up. And before you know it, she got sauce in my beard, sauce in my ears. Because dirty hands dirty all they touch. What are you saying? You cannot have a level of compromise in your life and do righteous works. You can't do it. Stay with me because dirty hands, dirty all they touch. That's the lesson here. Why do they not finish the temple? Why do we often get caught up and not finish the work that God called us to? Because we have little levels of compromise. And then guilt sets in, well, I'm not living right, so I'm just not going to do this. Well, I'm not doing that, so I'm not going to, rather than say, I'm going to choose Christ, we'll choose to refrain. Why? Because sin is pleasurable for a season. As the word of God says, sin is pleasurable. And so the prophet Haggai, he says to the priest, he says, priest, oh, priest, listen, is this going to be unclean if I touch this? Is that going to be? And the priest is like, of course, that's going to be unclean. And then listen to what God says next. He says, that is how it is with this people, this nation. Do you realize something? That God did not in that moment claim Israel. He didn't say, that's how it is with my people, my nation. He says, this people, this nation. Because they had abandoned God. They had not built the house. They were excited. If you read back in Nehemiah and Ezra, the Bible says when they laid the foundation of the place, they laid the foundation of, they started strong, they ended bad. The Bible says they were crying, they were weeping, they were celebrating. Fifteen years later, all they got done was the foundation. Doesn't that sound like some of your walk with God? God, I'm going to follow you all the way. I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. You leave Sunday service and all you got is that foundation because you go back to your own life. And we're trying to build unholy lives on a godly foundation. Church, that don't work. It's time for a church to stand up and for a believer all across the country. We need believers who are going to be uncompromising in their faith. Who will not live in a way that doesn't please God and still yet try to be this, this persona of godliness. But that will live right. That's okay, I got you. That will live right. Amen. That will act right. I got you. Amen. That will run from sin like Joseph. Oh, don't, don't. I got you. Amen. That will make no provision for the flesh. Somebody catch it on in the building today. But that will put God first. They're learning. This is like school. Amen. And that God will be the head of our lives. And not the head of our thoughts. Because sometimes we only think about God. Ooh, I shouldn't be doing this, but hey, whatever. You know, see, this is what people, I, I, I do it sometimes. When we say something like, I shouldn't be telling you this, but stop right there. 
that's not, I knew I shouldn't have, but I just, you, stop. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. And holiness is not contagious. Church, sin is, and it will seep into every area of your life. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole loaf, Jesus said. A small crack in a dam compromises the integrity of the whole dam. We see today as far as America, culture tries to dictate what righteousness is. Culture tries to dictate and define what righteousness is. Culture says premarital sex is okay. Culture says accept everyone's sin. Culture says judge nobody. And Christians say only God can judge me as if that is in the Bible. That is Tupac Shakur. That is not Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 7, by the same measure in which you judge, you shall be judged. He did not say don't judge. He said, look to your brother. If you find fault with them, Matthew 8, then call them out on it. And gather the elders until righteousness is restored. And then restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Why do you have to restore them? Because you judge them. And said, you're living wrong. Sit down. The church nowadays says, we don't want to judge nobody. That's right. We don't want to judge nobody outside these walls because they're sinners. They're doing what sinners do, sinning. But in this house, if you ain't living right, if you're not right before God, it's our job to say, hey, listen, you've got to fix some things in your life. Culture says don't judge anyone. Culture says God knows my heart, and as I always say, that's enough for him to send you down where you don't want to go because God searches the heart, he says. And the way we talk and the way we act, the Bible says, is out of the overflow of the heart speaks the mouth. Can I, can I challenge you today that you should not settle for culture's definition of holiness, but you should settle for Christ and the word of God's version of what holiness really is. Staying away from drunkenness. Staying away from fornication, adultery, and debauchery. Staying away from all those type of things. He who lied no more, lie no more. He who stole before, steal no more. Living holy before God. Can I tell you something? Partial holiness isn't holiness at all. That's similar to the man with cancer who the doctor says, listen, from the waist up, I can get rid of it. From the waist down, you're screwed. Who would take that? Oh, you, can get, you, you can make me cancer-free from the waist up. I'll take that. No, you want it all gone. But why do we have a different standard for God? God wants your life 100% clean. Will you mess up? Yeah, but you won't live in that screw-up. You won't be, your life won't be defined by a moment. You'll keep on moving forward. We sin daily. We mess up daily. But some of us plan to sin daily. And some of us actively live, live in sinful places that we shouldn't be in. There's a big difference. But you got to challenge yourself to do what God's telling you to do. And God is telling these people in the scripture that your ancestors had so many things wrong with them that I just told them in the end, don't build anything. Fifteen years went by. And God's house is not even being built. Because, why? Because God did not want to contaminate his house with partial holiness. Let me, let me put it to you like this. You can't claim to have a clean heart but dirty hands. Because a clean heart for the Lord, meaning a clean moral decision, a seat of authority in your life, a clean place at the center of who you are, makes everything around you clean in your choices. 
because Christ is the center of my life, I will not cuss that lady out at Walmart. <laughs> because Christ is the center of my life, I will not flip the American bird to the person on the highway who cut me off. Because Christ is the center of my life, I will not listen to music that has swearing, talks about sex and drugs and words I can't even talk about on the altar and calling women all types of degrading words. I won't listen to that. Why? Because I've made a moral decision to encompass my life with moral things and not morals as the world describes it, but as Christ commands it. Are you with me today? I don't know if you know, but sin only starts off as a thought, church. But James chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then after desire has conceived, talking about sin, it gives birth to sin. So after your thoughts conceive, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't get mad at me. That's just James. That's Jesus' brother. He, he said that. We know it this way. The wages of sin is death, as the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life. Righteousness. So the wages of sin, meaning if you live a life of sin, you, let me put it to you like this. We all know what wages is in terms of your job. What is your hourly wage? And so at the end of your week, after you've worked or slacked off, whatever you do at your job, after you've been spending those 40 hours and 37.5 hours at work, after you've done that, you get a paycheck at the end of the week or biweekly, whatever your schedule is. And you fully expect, hear me out now, that your hours will reflect the amount of pay you got in your check. And the whole church said, but some of y'all don't expect for your sin to reflect in your wages. Oh, You expect God just to absolve everything when you confess nothing. Holiness is not contagious. Sin is. And then he says this. God says this. He says this. He says, and you would go and you went to grab you went to go grab 20 bushels of grain, but you only got 10. You went to pull 50 cups of wine, but you only got 20. What is he saying? God says next, I struck your harvest. Why? Because I could not give a full harvest to people who were living partially right. Here, here's my second point today. Defiled hands limit your harvest. Defiled hands limit your harvest. So God is literally telling these people, listen, you lived in such a way that I could not bless you. I could not pour out everything I wanted to pour out on you. I could not give everything that I had stored up for you. I could not pour it all out. Why? Because you were not giving me your all, your everything. You were on a two-way street rather than a one-way road. Defiled hands limit the heart. Some of you will be waiting the rest of your life for the promise of God, but you are not doing your part to receive the promise of God. You are not doing your part to, and we don't earn the promise of God. It's a promise, it comes, but you got to be in the right place at the right time. If I told you, come over to my house for dinner tonight, and you said, okay, I'll be there. What time? Three o'clock. And then you want to be at your house at three o'clock wondering why you're not eating because I told you to come to my house to eat. And some of you spend your whole life wondering where is God when you are not in the place God commanded you to be to receive the blessing. 
And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go to this road, and at the crossroads of this road, you're going to find a donkey. He's going to be tied up. He's never been ridden before. And his disciples go exactly to where God says to go. They find this donkey exactly like he said it. But if they had not done it, they would not have found the provision of the donkey for Jesus. And some of us want to live how we want, where we want, when we want, but yet want the provision of God. And then say we have a heart for the house. But a heart for the house is, God, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll be where you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll serve as you've called me to serve. I'll live as you've called me to live. I'll give as you've called me to give, and I'll do what you want. And then from that obedience, God pours out on the people. From that place of obedience, God pours out onto your life. And God blesses you. If you feel like you have been struggling with a limited harvest in your life, you should do inventory and see the places of your life that don't honor the Lord. Because defiled hands limit the harvest. So many Christians are living in a limited harvest because we knowingly entertain sin, you partake of sinful things, and you want to try and also do the work of God while being a sinful person. And God says, no, no, you can't do it that way. You have to be all in. Well, Pastor, why, why can't I, you know, I fall sometimes. I, well, Pastor, I, I got some issues. And it's just, but why can't I have God's blessing on top of it? I feel as if God has blessed me sometimes. And if God has blessed you in your sin, don't take advantage of his grace and his mercy. Let me put it to you like this, right? Right? If you had... Two sins, right, right, two sins, right? I want to throw this out there for you. And you had zero holiness, right? If you multiply two times zero, we serve a God of multiplication, bless the Lord. He told uh, Abraham, I will multiply your seed, amen. And you multiply two, this isn't hard, I learned this in like the kindergarten, two times zero, you want two. But when you multiply righteousness and sin, it's always coming out zero, which is what? Defiled, unclean. I just busted somebody's bubble. Because you've been waiting on God for something, and, and I'm here to tell you that God is waiting on you for something. It's like you're stuck waiting for God, and God's like, well, I'm waiting for you. It's like the classic mix-up, where are we meeting? My house, what time? Three o'clock. And then I call you, I thought you said my house. No, my house. I'm the only me and my that I know. My house. Oh, I'll be there in five minutes. Well, the truth of the matter was they weren't even dressed. We all know that person, amen. <laughs> and then they're flying over to your house and they're late. And then you left to go on vacation or to the airport or wherever you were going. They got left behind and they're upset. And you told them, listen, no, 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 I, I told you three o'clock. Can I tell you one of the saddest things, one of the absolute saddest things in the Bible, one of the saddest parables in the Bible that Jesus ever told is the story of the ten virgins. Because the virgins signify the church, the bride of Christ. And at the end of that story, five were prepared with oil and five had no oil. Five had to go buy oil. And at the moment they went to buy oil, the Bible says the bridegroom, Jesus, he came and took five virgins with him. And five ended up banging on the door. What does that mean? Church, what am I saying? I'm saying to you that Jesus says this, that at the time of his return, 50% of the church will get left behind. 50%. 
Why? But why is that? Because they could not stop being lovers of the world. They were lovers of pleasure, lovers of self. 2 Thessalonians gives a great picture of the end time church and it talks about all the sins they would be dealing with. And church, I want to challenge you that you have any manner of things in your life that if you remove it, God will bless you. If you remove it, and we're not removing it to be blessed, but the, 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 the byproduct of living sin free is blessing. The byproduct of living in the righteousness of God is blessing. And if you have three sins, this is great. And you multiply it by zero holiness because you can't be partially holy. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody. You can't just come to church on Sundays and think it's all right. It is well with my soul. You got to live right all week long, church. I know that comes as a shock to some of y'all. This is like crazy doctrine here. I have to live right. Oh, my God. But he says this. Now he, but he be me. <laughs> three times zero holiness is not going to be three. It's going to be zero. No matter what you do, you cannot try to bring righteousness and unrighteousness and have an equal righteousness. There's got to be a place, church, where we surrender and say, Lord, I'm, I'm giving into you. I'm, I'm giving into your heart. I'm giving into your will. I'm giving into what you want me to do. I'm giving into everything that you would speak over my life. Lord, I want what you have for me. I believe so profoundly in my heart that our church is entering into a season of extravagant growth. I believe that God is going to do amazing things. I believe that, that soon thereafter will be multiple services in this location. Who knows? I just know that God is going to do something super. I, I believe that one day soon I'll have to preach like this too. Amen. To those empty seats in the balcony, they're going to be full. And we're going to see God do it little by little by little by little. And here's what God is saying to the church today. He's saying, I want to do a great work, but the reason I haven't done it in this city before, what the Lord told me this week, is because the people who came before us ended up getting defiled. He said, defilement came before. I can't tell you how many pastors I know who have moved out of state in the last few years because of their own sins. Defilement. Sin running rampant in the churches, God can't bless it, defilement. God don't want to bring growth to a place that will implode. Why? Because there's so much sin there, defilement. Why would God bring a lost person to a lost church? Defilement. And God says, no, you be holy as I am holy. And you're going to see God move in our lives. We'll see God touch thousands and we'll see God have a, his, his way. It's what he promised us. But our burden of the promise to do the right thing. And so G, rather, the prophet Haggai, through the voice of God, he's talking to this group of people who are now building the temple. This is you guys now. You're now building the temple. And he says, wait, before you go on any further, I want to tell you why the folks before you failed. And they failed because they were, somebody say, defiled. And because they were defiled, they defiled the temple. And I didn't want the temple to be defiled. And then, and then, this promise of God. See, I wouldn't leave you in the valley. I wouldn't just tell you how sinful you all were. Amen. This promise of God. My last point. This promise of God. Here's my last point. Real simple. From this day forward. That's, that's, that's my last point. From this day forward. And so the prophet, he's told them about the past. 
And he says, listen, in the past, because of the defilement of the people, there wasn't, the, there wasn't increase in the barns. There wasn't increase of seed. There wasn't increase of the wine. There wasn't increase of provision. The temple stopped being built because of the sin that was in the place. All that happened. He goes, but from this day forward. Meaning what? He's saying, if you heed my words, if you listen to what I am saying, if you come into agreement with the fact that I need to live right, live holy, and not compromise, if you do that and build the temple and do what God's called you to do and have a heart for the house, if you do that from this day forward, I will bless you. Aren't you waiting for God to say to you from this day forward, I'm going to bless you? Well, I just told you exactly how to get a from this day forward, I will bless you promise. And that is if you live right, if you stand for righteousness, if you live holy, if you give God what he deserves from this day forward, I will bless you. From this point onward, I will make changes in your life you could not begin to fathom or imagine from this day forward, starting right now, this moment, this second. This is the first day of the rest of your life. It is the first day of the blessed life. It is the first moment of a new time in your life. It's the first moment that God is saying, if you come my way, I will bless you like you've never seen before. If you let go of compromise and you let go of laziness and you let go of just trying to run the routine, I will bless you. Does anybody want to be blessed by God? He says if you would run from sin, if you would not be unclean, if you would remain holy and not be defiled, I will bless you right here, right now. Here's what I love about God. He did not say, he did not say, he did not say from tomorrow onward. God did not say from, from next week, next Tuesday, from that day on. Okay, let me break it down for you. Here's what happened to me. I, I, was, I was young. I was working uh, retail. My, my district manager came in. He gave me a raise. like a, He gave me a $30,000 a year raise in a moment. And then he said to me, he said this to me. He says, because you waited for me so long. <laughs> I was waiting for months. Because you waited for me for so long, I'm going to retro your... I'm going to bring it back until the point where I should have been here. Man, next week I had the dopest check in the world. I was, I was making like 26 an hour from like way months back. It was great. Why? Because God is a God who works from the now of your life. He's not saying wait till next week when your raise kicks in. I'll do it now. I'll give you an elevation now. I'll give you a blessing now. I'll work it in you now. If you live holy, there is an immediate blessing for you. When you live right before God, the blessing comes immediately. I'll prove it. Jesus giving the parable of the sower. He says the seed goes down, right? The seed goes down. And what happens next? The first thing that happens, the birds of the air, the enemy, Satan, problems of life, cares of the world. They come in to try and steal the seed immediately. Why? Because they know that there's an immediate blessing where the seed is falling. I'll prove it to you. How many times have you gone to church, been so blessed, walked out, and somebody called you with drama? Something happened in your family. Something happened in your house, in your marriage. Your wife done upset you. Husband got you mad. Why? Because wherever there is a blessing, 
there will become immediate frustration from the enemy. And God is telling these people, he says, my temple has remained as it was for 15 years. And now that you're building it, I might as well tell you the reason why the folks before you couldn't finish it is they were unholy, unclean, unrighteous, and I couldn't let unholy, unclean, unrighteous people build my temple. He said, but if you, if you, if you do what I told you to do, you're going to see there'll be seed in the barn. There'll be provision in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. He says, the glory of this house shall be greater than that of the former house. He promised these very same people that the, that the temple they were building would be greater than any temple the world had ever seen. He said, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, don't worry about nothing. And then he said to them, and while you build this, let me just tell you the reason why no one finished before you. Can I, can I tell you why Bridgeport has never been rocked by a super church? A church to really just sweep the city. We have a move of God that the city never goes back to the way it was. Stratford's affected and Fairfield's affected and, and folks from Trumbull coming to Bridgeport go to church. You know why it's never happened? Because no one's ever stood up in holiness and righteousness with grace and with truth. But that's who God is calling us to be. And we're going to see God do amazing things because he says to us today, church, from this day forward, if you would stand with me and live the way I called you to live and do what I called you to do from this day forward, I will bless you. Come on, stand to your feet this afternoon. I don't know about you. I get excited when I know that God wants to bless me. I get so excited to know that God wants to move in my life. Regardless of situations, regardless of all the things that I have going wrong in my life, it may not seem like it, but God wants to move in me. I want you to receive that today. Receive that word right now. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, God says, I want to move in your life. No matter where you thought life had taken you too far from the hands of God, from the grip of God's grace, he says to you today, no, 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 I want to bless you. Come on, every head bowed, every eyes closed. We're not worried about nobody today. We're not worried about nobody. We're just worried about Jesus. We're worried about the presence of a living God. And there's two types of people here today, and, and the first type is the ones who are building and you are living right before God, and God says, come on, this day forward, I will bless you. But then there's others today who you are, you're part of that older generation where you're living defiled and you're living in a way that you should not. And God says to you today, would you, would you straighten out the crooked path? Would you straighten out the things that are crooked in your life that I might be able to move and bless you and work in you and have a mighty, mighty outpouring in your life? If you would do that, the promise of God lingers over your life that from this day forward, I will bless you. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to search your heart. Search your spirit. Search the deepest, innermost parts. Say, Holy Spirit, come on in. Say, Holy Spirit, if anything's not right in me, fix it in me. Make me aware of it. The things that don't please you. Lord, that you would help me to change them. You would remove them from my life. 
And if you're saying that, then God says to you, if you would turn from them and you would repent from them, meaning not just saying you're sorry, but turning away from them completely and going in the opposite direction and saying, God, I want to put you as the head of my life. There's some people here today that your life has been nothing but a mess for the past couple years, and God is saying to you, you've done things your way. Would you try it my way? Would you give me a real shot to show you that holiness is the right path for you? Righteousness. Come on, every head, body, every eye closes. You know God's talking to you. You're lifting your hand as high as you can. You know God's talking to you. You know God's dealing with your spirit. You know God is saying to you that you have got some things to fix, that you've got some things to work on. He says, you don't got to work on it by yourself. I can do it with you. My Holy Spirit can empower you. I can do it with you because I am a great God. I am a God that loves you. I'm not here to condemn you, to tell you how bad you are. I'm here to only tell you how good I am. Come on, if that's you, you're lifting your hand as high as you can. Not worried about nobody around you. Not worried about nobody. Your hand being raised is simply you saying, God, I have lived defiled, and I don't want my defiled things to contaminate the holy thing you're trying to do in my life. So, God, I lift my hands in surrender. The corporate sign of surrender worldwide, you lift your hands. As people know you're surrendering. This is the only time you can ever surrender and win a battle is when you surrender to God. And win the battle of sin and salvation over your life. Come on, hands high all over this place if that's you. Come on, there's hands going up everywhere. Dear Heavenly Father, every hand you see that is raised, some dealing with small situations and some dealing with big situations, all those things, God, are small to you, though, God. Some, God, here today dealing with lifelong addictions and lifelong hurts, God, and deep-seated things that they need you to go in there and perform a spiritual type of operation on them to remove it, God. But today, God, our surrender, our lifting of our hands gives you permission, God, to wreck our life of sin, God, to, to break down the walls and the lies of Satan, to break down the works of the enemy, God, that you would be reigning strong in our lives, God. We surrender to you, God. We don't want to live defiled, God. We want to live holy and righteous before you because you're a good, great God. Father, we thank you. We release it to you right now. We release it to you in Jesus' name. Here's what the Word of God says, church. With your heads bowed, your hands raised, here's what the Word of God says. If you confess with your mouth, 1 John, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of them. So here's what I want to do. The band's going to play softly. I want you just to begin to confess the things that you know God is convicting you of. The Holy Spirit's working on you. God's making you aware of what is wrong. I simply want you to open your mouth. You don't have to shout it out. I'm not telling you to embarrass yourself, but say, Lord, I know that this is not of you, and I confess it, God. I want you to take it. Amen. Could we, do, could we have a moment of confession before the Lord today? A moment of pouring out our hearts and saying, God, I want you to have control of these things that I'm voicing out. Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's begin to do it right now. Holy Father, we're going to begin to confess right now in Jesus' name. 
That's right, that's right, church. Just confess it right now. Say, Lord, forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. I know it doesn't please you. I want to turn from it right now in Jesus' name. I want to turn from it in Jesus' name. I don't want these things in my life. I turn from it right now. I don't want this addiction. I don't want this ungodly relationship. I don't want it in my life anymore. I repent from it. I turn from it. I confess it to you. For I know that if I confess it to you, you are faithful and just to forgive me, God. Come on, that's right. That's right. Just confess it to him. It's you and God right now. It's you and God right now. We confess it to you, God. We confess it to you, God. Come on, everything. That's right. Come on, worship to tell him, withholding nothing.